I've had the privilege over the last few days of spending time with my grandmother, who's normally being watched by my mother. My, my grandmother has uh, dementia, which kind of progressed faster during COVID, as for many older folks that happened. Um, a few months ago, my grandmother lost my grandfather, my papa, uh, who she lived with up until the point that, she, that he died. But as of October 1st, my grandmother is now living at my parents' house, almost there all the time. And uh, I say a privilege because my grandmother is, first of all, she's my grandmother. So it's a privilege to be with family. And I owe so much to my grandmother for, like, all things I, I you know, realize and don't realize that she means to me. Um, but the other part that's such a privilege of hanging out with my grandmother is she is such a bright light. She's such a bright light. Now, even in some of this dementia stuff, when she's confused or she's learning old information as if for the first time, uh, she is as sweet as she's ever been and, and just incredibly positive person to be around. She also can flip a switch and become terrifyingly competitive. So when you're playing rummy with her or something, she'll change the rules around so that she can win. Um, <laughs> and she's always been that way. We, we used to call her the... Uh, we used to call her the Easter egg Nazi because she, if we didn't dye the Easter eggs the way that she liked, she'd be like, oh, that doesn't look very good. You need to do this. And she'd give us all kinds of tips on how to do a better job. Um, so in all things, that was kind of a funny quirk of her personality. It's still there. I had the best exchange, exchange with my grandmother, who we call, for, for your reference, Bama is what we call her. You know, we all have different names for our grandparents. Um, and I had a conversation with her about the church. Now, first, I retold her for the hundredth time that I am a pastor at a church in Saratoga, and she's always just so happy about that, which is really nice. Uh, she, she's a believer. She's been a believer since the 70s, and so she's very excited to have a grandson who's a pastor, and she can't believe it. She just can't believe it. Um, she, was even, she was way more upset when she figured out how old she was. Because, yeah, she goes, how old am I? And I said, well, what year were you born, Bama? 1933. I said, well... Deduct 33 from 100 and add 22. And she goes, oh, no. You know. <laughs> so here, here's the transcript of our conversation. My Bama asked me, do you ever wear shorts when you preach? And she looked a little unhappy. And uh, I said, in the summer and when I'm leading worship and preaching, I wear shorts because it just gets so hot. Uh, but normally in this time of year, I'll wear like long pants and maybe a long sleeve shirt. And she just looked unhappy with that answer. Uh, I said jeans and a shirt. And to my surprise, she looked at me, and after thinking for a minute, she goes, you should wear a robe. Just <laughs> <laughs> funny because she was not exactly part of a traditional church before. But then she says, she gets a smile on her face. She goes, you should wear a bright red robe. And when people come to the church, you should smile at them. And if they don't smile back at you, you should kick them out of the church. That's a new policy. Uh, this is just a small sample of somewhere between dementia, her sense of humor, and her just personality and who she is, being that bright light just pops out. Um, and this is just how awesome my Bama is. So keep on, keep on smiling. It's my message today. Or your days are numbered. Yeah, I, 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 that would be, if someone made me a red robe, I'd wear it for at least one Sunday. Or confuse people at Christmas time or something. Um, so, so 
the reason I got to hang out with my grandmother is because my mom and dad were at the hospital. My little sister was having a baby. It took a few days. So I was there for a few days. The baby was born healthy. Her name is Adair. And uh, she was 9.8 pounds. So she was a, she was a big girl. Um, so is she a cute little thing? Depends on what you're thinking here. Uh, she was very, very sweet. Very excited to see her. Um, so, you know, due, due to my Bama's condition, you know, we had the same conversation many, many times about who I was and how many kids I had in their ages. And I wrote down details for her so she could look at the page and refer to it. Um, and I also heated up her coffee 17 times in one day. Because she loves that. She's always been this way. She likes a warm cup of coffee because her hands get cold. And, but she doesn't really drink very much of it. It just sits there. And so I just kept reheating it over and over and over again. And then at the end of the day, I was laughing because I was pouring it down the drain after she went to bed because it was not drank. It was not drank. She just holds onto that mug with her sweet little hands and just co- cozies down to keep warm. My Bama is, is such a light, and she's always been that way. She's always been the biggest, probably one of the biggest lights in my life as a, as a Christian. She's a really amazing Christian. Uh, she, like I said, she became a Christian in the 70s uh, during a t- time when Jesus was doing a, a work of revival, kind of in that time. Maybe you remember that time, the Jesus people and all this stuff following, you know, the cultural revolution. But there was also a Jesus revolution. And um, you know, people like Keith Green and Rich Mullins came out of that, right? Uh, the singers. Uh, but soon after my grandmother came to, to faith, my grandfather followed suit, which is a good thing and, and a real blessing. And he trusted Jesus for his salvation as well. And as children, you know, my, my sisters and my brother would stay overnight at my Bama's house uh, once a week because we, we just did some activities over there. And maybe, and uh, forgive me if I told this story before, but it's such an important story to me. You know, every morning when I woke up, no matter how early it was, my, my Bama was already up. She was in the kitchen. And she was on the phone giving biblical counsel to people who were calling her because they were desperate for some help. Um, she gave them tough love. She gave them Bible references. She had her Bible open and a cup of coffee, nice and warm. And she just, you know, w- would share with people and, and work with people. And uh, when, she, when she spied me coming downstairs, she was giving me a big smile. And she'd point at the phone like I'm on the phone with somebody. And then she'd proceed to make me egos and make me my own cup of coffee as a child. Um, <laughs> but she, but I, I could listen to these conversations, and it was fascinating as a kid to hear my grandmother um, sharing Jesus with, with a weaker sister you know, who's on the phone. I noticed there was different people that would call all the time, like people that needed just extra grace and extra help. And my grandmother, as far as I can see, was just like Jesus, um, and so she hung out with people that were sinners and sufferers and, and gave, them, um, gave them her best. Um, challenging people to get out of their own way, to turn from their sin and follow Jesus and have a, have a better life. We're about to uh, embark on a journey in our Sunday morning services and in our small groups into the very heart of Christ, which is also the very heart of God and the very heart of the Holy Spirit. because They're, they're one. We're going to go on a journey into the very heart of Christ, reading this book, Gentle and Lowly, together. The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Um, My hope is that we can together move towards Jesus relationally and go from head knowledge about Jesus and God into a heart 
knowledge of Jesus with conviction. Um, to, to move beyond those things that, that complicate things and get to the very heart of Christ. Uh, the, 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 the Jesus that we worship and lift our hands to and sing to. Um, this, this is our God. We want to get to know him. Dr. Rob Reimer painted a really good word picture, at least for me, in his book Soul Care. He said, a lot of the challenge of our development as disciples of Christ is getting information from the pavement of our brains into the soft soil of our hearts. And sometimes knowledge just sits in your head and never makes its way into your heart. So the first thing you think about God might not be the thing that you know about God, but might be how you feel about God. Who is he? What's his heart for me? Does he really, is he really who he says he is? Is he someone I can come to? Get our knowledge of Jesus from the pavement of our minds to the soil of our heart. Sometimes we don't get, don't get transformed by God's word because we just simply can't quite believe it. We, we know it, and we would say we believe it, but we don't believe it in our heart of hearts. In this book, uh, Dane Orland says, uh, it is one thing to know the doctrines of the Incarnation and the Atonement and a hundred other vital doctrines. It is another, more searching matter to know God's heart for you. So doctrines, of course, affect God's heart to you, but they to really have that deep knowing, um, it, it's, a, it's a different thing. Who is God really? How can we know for sure that Jesus will receive us when we come to him? What does God think about people like my grandmother used to talk to who just couldn't seem to get it together? Like I feel like myself sometimes I feel that way. Um, and certainly the people my grandmother pursued. You know, have you ever thought to yourself, have I gone too far this time? Um, have we used up all of our chances with God? Has God lost patience with us? Would he ever change his mind about us as we continue to stumble forward? Can we, can, and can we be sure that God will receive us again when we come to him, offering open arms and forgiveness for our sins, like in the prodigal son story? Is he watching for us? That's a heart question, right? Those are the type of questions everybody asks, regardless of their theology. And these are the kind of questions that are addressed in this book from the Old and New Testament. A.W. Tozer said, in the knowledge of the holy, what comes into our minds when we think about God, again, you could say Jesus or the Holy Spirit, is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about Jesus is the most important thing about us. The history of humankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And our spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Meaning, you can't really move forward until you believe in the goodness of God and his heart towards you. In Gentle and Lowly, the author says, in, in the four gospel accounts given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters of biblical text, there's only one place in the entire New Testament where Jesus tells us about his own heart. And that is in Matthew 11, 29. You know, we know from, from John, you know, he's the bread of life. He's the gate for the sheep. We know him as the good shepherd. But what is, where, there's only one place where Jesus describes his heart of hearts. You know, that, the deepest essence of who he is. And that phrase is, I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am gentle and humble in heart. That's how Jesus describes his own heart. You know, it's one of those things that's truly amazing. The context for this self-description is, in verse 28, 11, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How on earth do we feel that God is so unapproachable after Jesus says something like this about his heart for us who are, if you don't know you're the extra grace required person, you are the extra grace required person, right? We all need extra grace. We're all that same person that called my grandmother over and over again. We're all stumbling. Um, We're all sinners and sufferers. How on earth can we not take this phrase to heart that Jesus will receive us as gentle and humble in heart? As I thought about this question, I studied two different sections of Scripture, one in Luke and then this one in Matthew, and I noticed some, some similarities that I thought were very interesting. And, what I've, and I'm going to go through that, but what I believe as far as, you know, why why we just can't take this truth about Jesus being gentle and lowly in heart for us, for sinners and sufferers, why we leave that in our minds and don't let it come to heart, is because I believe that many Christians are confused about God's overall character. You know, sometimes we view God and we judge God harshly uh, without all the information. And by the way, we'll never have all the information, but we, we judge God as in his character. We view God as, being, as contradicting himself, um, or worse, we assign forgiveness and love to Jesus. We, we give judgment to the Father, and we just don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. But we sort of parse him and cut him into pieces. Yet, God, in all of his fullness, is gentle and lowly in heart. I think there's a lot of... Um, I think there's cultural baggage that we bring with us to the text that causes us to put up our defenses and not receive the truth that Jesus is trying to give. I think that in our culture, we are not predisposed to being underneath anyone's authority. Anyone's. Our culture teaches us that we are not to trust authority, that authority is almost always a bad thing, always up to something unjust in the background. You know, across the political spectrum, we all have suspicion of authority in our country in our day. And I know, it's earned. Yeah, it's earned. Our country was founded on a revolution against authority. You know, those taxes don't look so bad anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm still pro-revolutionary war, guys. <laughs> um, our Protestant faith, someone I, I know re- recently had this light bulb, the word is protest. You know, that's where, that's, this is our DNA, you know, revolutionary war and protesting authority. And, of course, there was good reasons to, to do that. Um, when 500 years ago when the Protestant Reformation happened where we got that word pro- protestant um, the, 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 the church the only church that there was at the time uh, Catholic, Roman Catholicism was selling indulgences to poor people so they could buy their way out of purgatory that's what really broke the camel's back for Luther 
and the other reformers, seeing the faces of the poor being ground into the dirt, um, for filling people with fear and, uh, and telling them to give the little money that they had for food and for their children to the, to the Catholic Church. And when I, when I visited um, in Germany a few years ago, on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, I happened to be in Germany. Such a cool thing. Went to Wittenberg where the, the, they hammered the theses on the door. Um, I saw the, the boxes that were, that were set up for people to buy their indulgences. And we could, you could see them. They're on display. This is what we were protesting against. So for a number of reasons, we are culturally predisposed to view authority as a negative, to be suspect of authority, and to think that we might cease one thing, but something else is happening, and it's going to turn out poorly. Um, so we're simply not comfortable with anyone, even God, who claims to have absolute authority over heaven and earth, over the afterlife and over all eternity, who is actually worthy and has full authority to make judgments with eternal consequences of all people and all things. So when we read things in the Bible about God's awesome power, God's judgments, God's absolute authority over us in creation, I think we begin to lose sight of these verses that are tucked away in the Scripture of God's heart. And we fail to receive deeply the truth about God that can actually save us. Two passages I studied this week, one from Luke 12, and, uh, and one of the passage we, we read in Matthew. You can hear in this passage, it starts with this idea of God's authority and what God, God's authority over everything. Then it goes into a very common verse that we've heard, but we don't really take to heart. And then it goes back into this, this cosmic authoritative God. It says in Luke 12, 4-9, I t- Jesus says this, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. Stand in awe of him. Respect his authority because he has all power. In our lives, in heaven and earth, eternity and heaven and hell, all authority is God's. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angel of God. You know, the first few sentences in this verse teaches us about God's awesome authority. Now, people can kill you, but don't fear those people. Don't fear men that are trying to kill you. Fear, fear, respect, stand in awe of the one who has the power to do with you after you are dead. Makes sense. The point is, in this passage, is fear God and no one else. You know, these people were being, or, or about to become very soonly, soon, soonly, very soonly, um, persecuted for their faith. And so Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of your inquisitors. Don't be don't be afraid of those who can torture your body, who try to get, make you renounce your faith in me. Instead, put your proper respect on the one who has authority over death, and that's God. Don't fear those who can kill the body. Only God should be tr- feared and respected, not men. 
Now this passage, one of the things this passage is not saying is that God arbitrarily punishes people and throws them into hell. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that God has authority over all creation and over all eternity. We should not fear mere men who have no real authority, but instead we should live in light of God's comprehensive and true authority. And Jesus teaches us we are to respect, revere God, not fear men. Because of our distrust of authority, we tend to read a negative view of authority into this very passage. And it scares us. And then we, we miss out on this beautiful nugget that's in the middle. So then, just as our 21st century minds begin hardening our hearts, because this is all seems harsh and scary to us, even though it shouldn't, um, in the very next verse, Jesus says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before the others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Whoever disowns me before others will also be disowned before the angels of God. You need to have verses 6 and 7 in the soil of your heart. When you think about God, and you're, you're having all these doubts and fears about your relationship with him, you need to remember, you are worth more than many sparrows to God, and he knows the number of, of hairs on your head. That's the heart of God for you. You need to know in your heart uh, that, um, that Jesus values you, and God values you. Um, verse, verse 8 says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Again, I don't think that we have a Bible problem here, but I think in our modern, sin-stained cultural lenses, we just don't want to submit to anyone, and we don't want to believe that there is ultimate, even benevolent authority. But that's what this is saying. It's saying, you know, God has authority over death. Don't fear men. You are valuable to God. Despite God being high and exalted, God, God loves you. God loves you, and he has a true authority. This brings us to uh, the passage on which the entire book of Gentle and Lowly is based on. That's Matthew 11, uh, 29, when Jesus describes his heart as gentle and lowly. And the context of, the, of Jesus saying that is very similar to the Luke passage. This is something that was so in, uh, intriguing to me this week. Just like in the Luke passage, it begins by showing God's awesome and full authority over creation, even talking about the final judgment, heaven and hell, and then moves us right into the mystery of God's heart of love for his people. So I, first of all, in the passage, you know, God's, God's, heart is display on, is, God's heart is on display in Christ, who is mourning, who's saying, whoa, 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 you know, W-O-E. Jesus is mourning over and denouncing many cities where the people have rejected him. So, in context, Jesus is, Jesus is weeping because he values the people that are can, contained in these cities. Um, and later, we, later in Matthew 23, I believe it is, uh, he, he weeps over Jerusalem. And, he, and the heart of God is, how I long to gather you underneath my wings like a mother hen, but you were unwilling. You were unwilling. Uh, Jer even Jerusalem, the city of God, you were unwilling. So Matthew 11:20. Um, then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, 
they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Once again, the scope of God's power, uh, his authority over all things, his, his authority to judge is, is on full display here. And these are not bad things, but they're things that we, we balk at. We balk at those and they cause fear in us. But it's not bad things because God is just and righteous in his judgments. Um, God's heart is then uh, put, on, put on display right after this whole section about woe to this city, woe to that city. The people did not repent. And right after denouncing and pronouncing woes over those cities who rejected him, Jesus shares God's heart with us, and starting in Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus tells us of his own heart, again, the only place in the New Testament, that he's gentle and humble in heart. He invites everyone to come under his loving protection. And who is he inviting to come under his loving protection? Those who are weary and burdened. That's God's heart. Despite the fact that we naturally want to reject all this authority and, and, and avoid trusting and submitting to anyone um, who has supposed authority, Jesus offers a very countercultural invitation. First, he says, God does have all authority over life, death, and eternity. And then he offers the invitation. Come to me. Not the winners and the champions, not the perfect and the holy, but the weary and the burdened. Come to me. All you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can we come to know God's heart for us more in the coming months? Absolutely. Can we overcome our sinful nature and our cultural biases in order to really know Jesus by submitting to his ultimate authority and trusting in him? I think we can. You know, in a nutshell, if in order to know God's heart of love for you, you must first trust him and submit yourself to his ultimate authority. Quit trying to control everything and trust in the God who is in control is the answer. There might not be anyone on earth that's trustworthy who's, who's in authority. There might be no one, um, no one who's fully trustworthy. Um, there are people trying to pull the wool over your eyes and, and, and trick you and to grind the faces of the poor. You know, it's hard to have a trusting, submissive heart when all the authority around us seems to be falling apart in darkness and um, confusion. But God actually has all authority in heaven and earth, heaven and hell and eternity. 
Um, and he's good. He's good. So I think in order to know God's heart of love for you, you must first, as it says in Psalm 103, you must, uh, you must fear him. You must believe and respect and revere God. And when you, when, you rec- when you submit yourself to God's authority and surrender your life to Christ, it's at that time that you become an heir of these beautiful promises of God that you will find Jesus gentle and lowly when you come to him. If you properly respect God and his authority and put yourself underneath his authority, you will trust God and submit to his authority. You'll quit trying to control things and trust in the God who's in control. That God has good reasons and wise reasons for everything that he does, whether we understand them or not, and that he can be trusted. And his deepest heart for us is that we would come to him and find rest. Again, it's a countercultural thing to do to submit yourself to authority. But Jesus is saying, submit yourself to my authority. Humble yourself. And then come to me. And when you come to me, you'll find me gentle and humble in heart, fully approachable. A.W. Tozer said in his book, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit, there's nothing eerie, nothing strange, nothing contrary to the normal operations of the human heart about the Holy Spirit. He's only the essence of Jesus imparted to believers. You read the four Gospels and see for yourself how wonderfully calm, pure, sane, simple, sweet, natural, and lovable Jesus was. Even philosophers who don't believe in his deity have to, have to admit the lovableness of his character. You must be sure of all this to the point of conviction. That is, you must be convinced to a point where you won't try to persuade God. You don't have to persuade God at all. There is no persuasion necessary. Being filled with the Spirit is as easy as breathing. You can simply breathe out and breathe in. Will we breathe in God's goodness over the next few months? Will we learn to trust God as being a a worthy authority and trust in what he does, trust in his judgments and what he says in his word, instead of trying to control everything around us? Can we trust God to be good and just and stop judging God by our human standards, which are ever-changing? Now, that's the invitation. So I'm looking forward to going through this book and seeing the character of God on display. I just invite you to close your eyes. And as you feel yourself breathing, inhaling, exhaling, recognize in this moment that God is in control. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. There's no person or situation that you need to fear, but only respect and trust in God. Because when you come to him, Gentle and lowly in heart, you will find him. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he does not need to be persuaded to give his goodness to you. It was, it was after all, his, his plan all along to give his life so that we could have this relationship with God. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Jesus will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him. For he is gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For his yoke is easy 
his burden was light. <laughs> Father, it's absolutely stunning to consider what you've done for us. You have all power. You have all authority. You are the creator. We are the creation. All of your ways are just and right. Despite all of this amazing power, you leveraged all of it at the cross to save us, sinners and sufferers, people that just can't seem to get it right, people that needed help. You leveraged your, your deity to save us. It's like nothing else, God. Let, let us come to know you deeper. Let us learn to fear you rightly, like the Bible teaches us to, not being scared of you, but having proper respect for who you are. And to come, come to you in humility, recognizing that you took the first step to come and meet with us on the cross. Thank you that your promise is when we are weary and burdened, you will give us rest. For you are gentle and humble in heart. Just, I can't even put to words, Lord, how amazing it is to me. So help us, Jesus, just to submit to you, to trust you, to walk with you, and to come to know your heart in the coming weeks for us. In Jesus' name, amen.